WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Since 2017, there have been over 70,000 opioid-related deaths, namely in the 18 to 25-year-old group. It has been shown that implementing educational programs can reduce the total number of opioid overdoses up to 55% within those communities. To address the growing opioid epidemic, second-year medical students at Michigan State University, College of Osteopathic Medicine, Brittany Ladson, Christian Roll, and Basma Almas-Raf are currently investigating the efficacy of implementing an opioid awareness educational program for high school students across the state. Can one of you please explain to me about this educational program that you all implemented? So it's Brittany here. For the past few months, we've been visiting different high schools throughout Michigan, namely in Southeast Michigan and in the Lansing area. We've been talking to high school health classes about the opiate epidemic and how it impacts our country financially, how it impacts lives and health. We talk about naloxone, which is a drug that helps overcome opiate overdoses. And we also talk about how people start using opiates to begin with. Hi, this is Christian. And I wanted to add to what Brittany was saying. We basically wanted to teach these kids the stepwise approach to how addiction can actually be formed. And that it doesn't just go from a one-time user like a D.A.R.E. program would implement and you become a hopeless deadbeat. And it can just happen in a slow stepwise process that all of a sudden it's what you're way over your head and you don't know where else to go. And we wanted to basically give them information to know what they were up against and not try to sugarcoat stuff and act like this isn't going to happen or it's just going to go away. It's great to hear that a program like this exists, but I'm wondering what makes opioids so addictive in the first place? The thing with heroin and opiates in themselves is they are a chemical that actually targets the pleasure receptors in the brain. So if you really like to do something and now I have this drug that's coming in and I'm targeting that exact area in your brain that is telling me, I really like this. And now this other drug is just hitting it consistently. Every time you take it, it gets you to really fall in love with the drug. And it's almost as if the rest of the world falls away. And the more you strengthen that process to being this outside drug that is making you feel this way, it makes everything else that would normally be pleasurable to you almost not seem enjoyable at all. And everything has to revolve around this one feeling of getting high. I need it. You seek it out everywhere you go. And that is why it becomes such a horrible downhill spiral from when you start getting addicted to something. Hi, my name is Fesma. Just to add to what Christian was saying, um, tolerance is when you're taking the same amount of drug over time. And the receptor for the drug that responds to the drug becomes um, uh, tolerated through that same amount of drug and it doesn't respond, doesn't form a response uh, to the same level that it does every time. So um, people who take these drugs do not feel the same effect of pleasure over time. So they're going to feel the urge to take a more uh, dose. I think you're all right that this is very important to emphasize to children, especially while they're growing up to understand the importance about opioids and how addictive they can be. 
Whenever you're implementing this educational program, what methods are you using to not sugarcoat it to these children about how important this is? So when we talk with these students, we are showing videos throughout the program, and we're also calling on the students to share personal experiences that they themselves or their family members um, are going through. It brings a real-life drama almost to the subject of opiates. It's not just a health class anymore. And it's not just a science lesson, it's real life. I just wanted to uh, second what Brittany was saying too. We add into the idea that there are barriers to treatment. So it's not just talking about how these people are getting addicted and how they go down this, this difficult road, but then why can't they get better? And what real life issues are stopping them from being able to fix their problem. And that can be lack of money, lack of transportation to get there, the fear of missing work or not being able to provide for your family, and then not even knowing where to find it. Because a lot of people are uneducated in the way of actually knowing where to find treatment or how to help them in the long run. And they, a lot of people that are addicted to drugs don't even think to ask for it. You mentioned earlier that you're visiting these different high schools around the state of Michigan, but what regions have you visited the most and what has been the reach of this program so far? We have visited Romeo High School in Macomb County, Benjamin Carson High School in Detroit, and East Lansing High School right here in um, East Lansing. We've visited several hundred students throughout the last few months, and MSU College of Osteopathic Medicine is interesting in that we have three campuses, and the schools that we selected have matched where our campuses are in Macomb, Detroit, and East Lansing. So it's been really special for us to visit all three areas and talk to students among those three groups. And throughout this time, we've reached nearly 280 students throughout the grades of 9th and 12th grade. That's amazing that you've been able to go to different regions of Michigan while educating these children. How interactive are you with the students and how well do you get to know them? First of all, it depends on how close it is to lunchtime because students become a little bit more uh, ornery around that time. But realistically, we've had a lot of casual interaction and then we also allow time for them to break away into small groups and figure out their own approaches to how to solve this problem. And and during that time, we also walk in between them, asking them questions, probing their minds, um, also trying to figure out where they're coming from and what situations they've had. And at that same time, we have people raise hands to make the problem seem a little bit more close to home, that they do know people that are um, have struggled with addiction, whether it's them or the person next to them or in the class before. We want this to seem like a more natural problem that doesn't seem like it could never happen to me or it would I have never had that experience before you know we want this to be a normalized thing because that's the only way to address a problem such as as big as this when we go we give a powerpoint presentation and this presentation is about 40 uh, minutes long during this this interactive presentation we have a group discussion multiple group discussions where we ask the students' opinions and we also ask them questions. Before we conduct the um, awareness presentation, we give them a pre-survey, a list of 
some questions to know their base knowledge on opiates um, and the overdose. And after the presentation, we give them the same. And then we collect these surveys. We also don't use names to keep track of the students. We use numbers. So we tell them to write their number down on the sheets. Um, and then we collect these surveys and we analyze them um, to look at how much they learned overall from this presentation on specific areas like the health consequences of opiate overdose, the financial crisis, causes, and other consequences. It's important that these students are becoming aware of these issues so that way they don't have to deal with the problems of addiction in case they were ever prescribed an opioid. How are you determining whether or not these educational programs are working, and what are your metrics for determining success? So we administer the pretest and the post-test, and our statistical analysis has shown that students are learning quite a bit from the topics that we're talking about. Um, this is a short-term program at the time, and our goal in the future is to see whether students five years, ten years in the future have benefited from the program by withstanding from using opiates and overcoming addiction if necessary. At this point, it's only a short-term program, and that's one of our longer-term goals. Yeah, Brittany, whenever you say short-term program, that has me wondering, whenever these educational programs are occurring, how long are they for? Are they a day or half a day, maybe for a few days within a week? The programs are a 40-minute presentation and talk with the students. And in the future, we hope to see if this was enough to have students realize the burden that addiction can have on them and to abstain from the use of opiates. So also to add, we don't want to overburden these kids because if we just keep on forcing it down the throats, they're going to pull back from even trying to learn or trying to appreciate it. So we want it to almost be in a condensed session, really highlight the points that are pivotal to understanding and knowing what they're up against and then kind of leaving it at that and hoping that that would actually at least create something in their head that they're thinking about it. Like Brittany and Bosma were saying, we were also thinking about implementing it more regularly. So this would be almost more of like a yearly thing that we would hopefully work in with schools because that repetition is going to be more important than just keeping them in like one situation where they're constantly being told heroin's bad, don't do opiates and like bogging down their mind to make it so, so they don't actually care or want to listen to us just because we're being too annoying to them. I think it'll be really interesting to hear what the results of those long-term projects end up being. What inspired the Department of Osteopathic Medicine to pursue doing this kind of project anyways? So what pushed us to do this and inspired us to do this program is the Students um, Osteopathic Medical Association, which is a national Association of the DO students, and they have an opiate uh, task force already, a national opiate task force. And during one of the conferences that I attended, I got the idea. Serena is the president of um, one of the organizations that MSUCon, and Serena and I had the idea of bringing education to the high school students, which are the most vulnerable population. To opiates that they um, right when they get out of uh, high school and they're exposed to it um, during their college years. 
So we decided to make this an official program at MSUCon also because we already have an increasing interest of an opiate overdose awareness at MSUCon by the different organizations within. So we thought this might be the program that encompasses all of the organization's interest during on this topic, and not just opiates. It also would include um, studies on marijuana as well. This committee that we have created is focused on the prevention within our youth, but we also are working on creating other avenues to help with the opioid epidemic. One of those being curriculum reform. It's also very difficult to work with the hurdles of our own administration within our school, as well as statewide representatives to try to implement change within the college as a whole. Ideally, we would even move further to involving other colleges to more to add addiction training to our curriculum as doctors. So that's that's another next step that we're looking into because many doctors around don't know how to deal with a person that's addicted to opiates. So we are trying to make that more readily available in our training so that we're ready to deal with the epidemic on the other side, as well as trying to prevent it from even starting in the youth. It's a two-pronged approach. Thanks for pointing out that there's a nationwide opioid overdose task force for students as an organization. I think it's really cool that you were all able to start this. And I'm wondering, what will happen whenever you all graduate? Will the program continue with other people? We are second year students right now, so we plan on continuing our work throughout our next two years at MSU. During this time, we will also be recruiting underclassmen to learn how to do the programs and learn our connections with the high schools so they can continue the program from our graduation onward. I remember having the pleasure of meeting you three over at the Graduate Academic Conference this past February that was hosted by the Council of Graduate Students here at Michigan State. Could you tell us a little bit about the results that you presented there on the work that you're doing with this educational program? So the analysis, the results of the analysis um, concluded the, that students learned uh, significantly uh, around topics on opiate identification, so they were able to point out what are opiates versus like over-the-shelf Tylenol and um, ibuprofen that are not opiates. They also learned about resource uh, sources, so how how most often uh, patients get these opiates from. They also significantly learned health consequences. So what could this opiate misuse lead to health-wise? They also learned about financial burden, reversal methods. Being a non-user of opioids, it's sometimes hard to figure out how can we be supportive of people who might have this addiction. Do you all have any recommendations for people who would like to support people who are opioid users, but we just don't know how to support them? So that's a great question. There's a lot of different resources available for people that are not addicts. And that would be, first and foremost, on Families Against Narcotics, which is a group of, I guess, families that have people that were touched by addiction. 
and they can provide support, access to treatment homes, and other educational seminars that they put on monthly. Um, another aspect would be Narcotics Anonymous, which is very similar to the Alcoholics Anonymous, where it's a support group for people that are in an active addiction, where they can kind of vent about their problems and try to keep each other clean by supporting each other. One of the biggest things, though, outside of all of these different groups is social support. And this is something that we as a population need to be worried about. Understanding that to stigmatize a drug addict is only going to further their worthlessness in their mind. So to look at a person and act as though they are beyond saving because they're an addict, that will only make them feel more helpless and useless. Trying to change the wording that we use um, regarding addiction and regarding substance use period is actually a big step towards what we need to do in making things people feel more comfortable in this situation. And that's also another reason why we're trying to make this seem so regular to high school students because eventually they're going to be adults and having to deal with this as well. So that's a big thing of what we're trying to work with. It's also really important to know that in many places there are good Samaritan laws that protect people that help administer medical life-saving efforts to people that are experiencing overdose. If you go to and you and you find someone who is experiencing overdose and is on the floor Administering CPR, regardless of whether it helps or doesn't or hurts or does not, is allowed and it's legal and it protects you as a person administering the CPR. And it's just there because you are the Good Samaritan and you want to help someone who's in need. Another really important thing to do is after you get prescribed a medication, a lot of times you don't use the full prescription and it stays in your medicine cabinet for a long time. But then you have parties and people come over, and if people go through your medicine cabinet and they decide that it's a good idea to take your medicine, that can begin the process of addiction. So it's really good to go to your local pharmacies or police stations to bring back your medications. There's a National Drug Take Back Day that happens every year, but you're also able to do that throughout the whole year. Just one more thing to add on the Good Samaritan Law, too, is... Outside of uh, doing life-saving techniques, if you are a person that might be intoxicated or if you are a kid that maybe was doing the drug as well, you are able to call 911 on some, um, for someone that is currently overdosing and you will not have legal ramifications for that, for you being intoxicated or on or high on a drug it, you are safe from that because the person's life who's actively dying uh so to speak need like needs the help and not calling out on one would actually be m way worse for that person than prosecuting you as a user i appreciate you explaining all of the ways that we can help people as non-users and then I didn't even think about taking back expired prescriptions i really appreciate you for saying that yeah, hopefully our audience gets to take home those techniques that you had suggested to help people around us. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk to us about this incredible program that you all are a part of. Thank you so much for having us. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan. 
Program Director Amber Konutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandron, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting. This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for the Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci-files at impact89fm.org. See you next week on Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.